He is risen. Amen. Welcome to our service of worship here on Easter morning at First Church in New Knoxville. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or watching online, we're so grateful that you've decided to join us as we worship our risen Savior this morning. Just one brief note about the order of worship this morning. Uh, In just a moment, as we stand to sing our opening hymns, uh, we're going to be having the choir uh, sing right immediately after that. So after our call to worship, we're going to invite you to sing hymns number 215 through 217, the marked verses in your blue hymnal. And the song that the choir has prepared for this morning is going to transition right into uh, that song after the hymns. So after we are done singing number 217, I'm going to invite you all, we will all sit down and the deacons are going to come forward and collect the offering in that time. Uh, But there is going to be no kind of middle ground there. We're going to transition right into that song. Uh, But today's an opportunity for us to worship our risen Savior. Jesus is alive, and that makes all the difference in the world for us. And we are gathered here today to praise our risen Savior and Lord. So I encourage you, if you're able, to stand with us for our call to worship, which also comes from the blue hymnal, number 214. This is a reading from Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. He is not here. He is risen. Alleluia. Now let's continue our worship of the Lord by singing the marked verses of 215, 216, and 217.
At this point in our service, it's time to invite the children forward for children's chat with Miss Tori. And while they come forward, I invite you to take a moment and greet your neighbor. Good morning. Happy Easter. Guys, are you still asleep? Okay, let's try that again. Happy Easter. That's a little bit better. Maybe you haven't dug into the candy yet. That's why. All right. So this morning, I'm going to read you a story. And as we read, I need you to put on your listening ears because I need you to listen for three words. Okay. Candy, eggs, and bunnies. That's the, those are the three words that you're going to listen for in the story I'm about to read, okay? Can you do that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll let you know. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. So did you hear those three words? Candy, bunnies, Easter eggs? No. But I just read you the Easter story. How come those aren't in there? I haven't heard them yet. Because <laughs> Easter is about Jesus. Yes, Easter eggs, bunnies, all of that stuff. Those are really fun, right? And we look forward to those things. But Easter is all about Jesus. Because what did Jesus do on Easter? He rose from the Yes, he rose from the dead, and he is alive, just like he said he would, right? So what did, do you guys know what the three women did after they went to the tomb? They went to tell people. So here's what I want you guys to do, because Jesus is alive, and we're really excited about that, right? So guess what we get to do? We get to go tell people that he's alive, that he is risen. So today... I want you to think of three people that you can tell that Jesus is alive, okay? So it could be your mom, it could be your dad, grandma, grandpa. You might be seeing some family later. Maybe you could tell them all about Jesus. But that's what I want you to do today, okay? And you can still, you know, have Easter candy and all that stuff. That stuff is good too. But remember, Easter is about Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that 
you rose from the grave, that you are alive, and that we get to celebrate you and what you did on the cross for us today. We love you, and we thank you so much, and ask that you would put people in our lives to tell about you. So God, I just ask that you would be with us as we go and celebrate your resurrection today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tori. And you guys can head back to your families. Got a couple announcements to share with you before we move on in our service. Uh, Just a reminder to families with young kids, and we encourage you, if you're able, to stick around for that. Also, there is a choir and bell practice this Wednesday, April 20th, at the normal hours. And I believe Clinton has an announcement to share with us as well. Oh, sorry. Good morning. Just wanted to direct your attention to your bulletin um, with the announcements about the return of exam treats for our college students. So if you have a family member or anyone in your household or immediate extended family that could use some extra prayer and support, especially um, in the spring college exam, final exam season, um, please uh, let Connie know in the office by Wednesday, this, the 20th. Uh, we are getting these boxes together. We have made the SAMS run. We will make another one. So please, please, please get us some names. We're eager to pack those boxes and send them off to our young adults and help support them and take some stress off of them here with some uh, munchies uh, during the exam season. Thank you. Thank you, Clinton. Now let's continue to worship our, our risen Savior this morning. Our next praise song is entitled In Christ Alone. The words are in your bulletin. I invite you, as you're able to, to please stand and join us as we sing.
invite you to pray with me. Lord God, we lift up our praise to you this morning because you, Father, have raised your Son up from the dead. Holy Spirit, you have given life to him again, and he is alive today. And Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of your Father in heaven, interceding for us. We are here today, Lord, because you are alive. You have conquered sin and death and the grave. You have won victory over the enemy. And so we praise you for your loving kindness towards us. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. That's what we sing this morning. That's what we celebrate this day as we remember your resurrection, that you were dead, Lord Jesus, and you are alive again, and that you are the living one, our risen Savior, and that you hold the keys to death and Hades in your hand. And as we put our faith in you and as we put our trust in you, there is no more guilt in life, no more fear in death, because it is your power and your spirit at work in us. From life's first cry to its final breath, you, Lord Jesus, command our destiny. And there is no power of hell, no scheme of man that can ever pluck us from your hand. And so until you return or or you call us home, we stand in your power. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for that hope and that promise. Lord, we gather here today celebrating your resurrection, but that doesn't mean life is easy or or. That doesn't mean there are no burdens that we carry in here. So as we come and worship our risen Savior, we also come with needs and concerns. We come, Lord Jesus, knowing that we can't walk through this life alone. So no matter what we face or no matter what problems we're experiencing, we bring them to you, Lord, in our joys and in our sorrows, in our in the in the celebrations of life and in the grief, we come to you, our risen Savior and place our hope in you. So for those, Lord, that are mourning the loss of loved ones this day, we pray for your spirit to comfort and strengthen them and give them hope that you have won victory over death and the grave. For those that are in need of healing, Lord, we pray that you would heal their bodies. And for those that are in need of reconciliation and restoration of relationships, we ask for you to work Because you, Lord, are a God of reconciliation. And not only have you you torn down the dividing wall between, between us and you, but you have also torn down the dividing wall between each other. So we pray, Lord, that you would make us one in Christ. Lord, we also pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so we do pray for our governmental leaders. We pray for our president our Congress and Supreme Court and other elected and appointed officials, that you would grant them wisdom beyond their means, that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be filled. And we thank you for this church family in this place, represented here as well as those that are listening on the radio and watching online. We thank you for each and every brother and sister in Christ that we can gather here in this place, no matter what else divides us and no matter what other... Uh, no matter what other things we might not have in common, 
we gather here this day for one purpose, and that is to worship and praise you, our risen Savior. And we thank you that we have that privilege and opportunity. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Invite Tracy forward for our scripture reading today. The scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Thank you. Let's pray together again. Father God, as we turn to your word now on this Easter morning, we ask for your spirit to soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, may you give me the words to speak, words of hope and life and truth, encouragement and edification. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the great privileges that pastors have is the opportunity to preach on the resurrection of Christ, right? If there's anything to be preached about, if there's anything to be declared, if there's anything to be proclaimed on a regular basis, it's the hope that we have in the resurrection. And as a church family during Holy Week, right, we have the opportunity to walk, in a sense, with Jesus through those final days of his earthly life and ministry. One week ago today, we gathered on Palm Sunday and celebrated Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as the crowds gathered and shouted, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On Thursday night, we gathered and remembered how Jesus instituted the, the Last Supper as his disciples shared a Passover meal with him. He talked about his bread, the bread being his body, which is broken for, the, him, for them, the cup representing his blood shed for them. We also remembered it was that night that one of his disciples, Judas, betrayed him to the authorities. As Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, a crowd came and arrested him. And over that, the hour, early hours of that, late hours of that night and early hours of the next morning, Jesus stood trial before the Sanhedrin as well as Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And in that Friday morning, as crowds shouted, crucify him, crucify him, Jesus was taken away was beaten, 
and nailed to the cross. Friday afternoon at about 3 o'clock, Jesus gave up his spirit. He says, it is finished. And he died there. Now let's pause for a moment and think about what it would be like if the story ended there. Right? The disciples must have woken up Saturday morning and thought it, must, it was all a bad dream. Right? That couldn't have possibly happened. I think it's important for us to recognize that there is a day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Right? We don't often think about it. We don't often acknowledge it in a formal way, right? But, but Holy Saturday, or sometimes called Silent Saturday, is a thing, right? It's a day where Jesus' body was still laying cold in the tomb. So Saturday must have been very difficult for the disciples and, and, and the women and the other followers of Jesus that had been with him for many years. All hope seemed lost. Seemed like it was the end of the line. And on that Saturday morning, they probably woke up and thought, man, I I really wish that was a bad dream. But it wasn't. Right? Jesus was still gone. And and I I can only imagine the, the vivid images that were in their head of what they had witnessed the day before. See, that's why the women went to the tomb early on that Sunday morning. They were expecting Jesus to still be there. Everything that they hoped for, everything that they had had desired and dreamed of seemed to be ripped from them. Their friend, their teacher had suffered a brutal and what seemed final death on the cross. They barely had enough time to take his body down from that cross and place it in the tomb before Sabbath began. And so they planned to return early Sunday morning to finish preparing the body for burial. See, our experience of Holy Week and of Easter Sunday is very different than those women or the other disciples. Right? We look back on this side of the empty tomb and we know the end of the story. Right? We know that when they show up, the stone is going to be rolled away and Jesus is not going to be there. But that's not what they expected. They went to finish what they had started that Friday before to finish preparing his body for burial. But what they found there surprised them and continues to surprise us today. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And it says that they wondered at what it all meant. That word wondered there means like puzzled or confused, right? It just didn't make sense. It was incongruent with everything that they had experienced in the days before. Which is ironic since Jesus had often warned them about what was going to happen For example, in Luke 9 and Luke 18, he says that he's going to be handed over, killed, and raised in three days. But they still didn't get it. They didn't fully understand. Suddenly, two angels appear in the empty tomb and announce the greatest news in the whole world, that Jesus is risen, that he is no longer there. Now, notice how Luke bookends the story of Jesus' life with pronouncements from angels. Right In Luke chapter 2, it's angels that announce the birth of the Savior to the shepherds. And it's angels that now announce the resurrection of the Savior to these women. They say, He has risen. Right, That is, that is a passive tense verb. Uh, the Father has raised the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We see in passages like Romans 8.11 and Galatians 1.1, right? Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And then in Galatians 1.1, Paul just simply says that he has been sent not from man or from a man or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, in the, all throughout the scripture, all throughout Jesus' life, it was always the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was working to accomplish God's will, right? The will of God, according to the will of the Father, accomplished by the work of the Son and applied through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the angels tell the woman, remember what, I t- remember what he told you, right? Jesus had taught them, but he, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Not until after the resurrection and after the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. In fact, John's gospel notes that just that in chapter 2. As Jesus predicts that the temple would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, it says, they replied, it has taken 46, but the temple he'd spoken of was his body. And he was raised from, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believe the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You see, it's the resurrection that makes it all make sense, right? Up until that point, Jesus was just a a good teacher, right, to some. Yeah, he was a miracle worker to others. He had done some good things, but the resurrection changed all of that. It transformed all of that. And it's what made everything else make sense. And so the woman carried the good news of Jesus' resurrection back to the disciples. And Jesus later appears to the disciples on numerous occasions as well as others over the next 40 days. But it was on that Easter morning that everything changed. Everything changed for the disciples and everything changed for us too. And there's three things that we need to know, right? As we gather here on Easter Sunday morning, there's three things that we need to know that the resurrection guarantees for us. The first thing is that the resurrection guarantees that everything that Jesus said is true. You see, the most outrageous claim that he would ever make was that he was killed, that he'd be killed and rise again from the grave three days later. You see, some of Jesus' predictions are, are easy to explain away. Right? Think of what we've already talked during, about during Holy Week. On Palm Sunday, he sends his disciples ahead of him and says, there's going to be a donkey tied up, and you go there and you tell, the master, you tell his owner that the master has need of it, and he'll let you have it. Right? Some people may look at that and say, well, you know, that's, that's a miracle. Others may look at it and say, well, he probably planned it ahead of time. Right? He could have made arrangements for that to be there. So, so stuff like that can be explained away if one has the desire to do so. But predicting that you're going to be killed and then three days later come back to life, there's not really much you can do to arrange for that to happen, right? There's not much you can do to to cause that to happen unless you are who you say you are, unless you are the Son of God. And again, he he predicted it multiple times. And it was it's a prediction that's, com- from a human perspective, completely preposterous and outside of his control. Again, the average person cannot bring themselves back to life. But if this is true, right, and the resurrection proves that it is true, then everything else he said must also be trusted as true and valid. 
You see, miracles in the resurrection is the greatest miracle of all. Miracles are meant to validate or prove the teaching and character of Jesus. Right? There's a story in Mark chapter 2 about four friends who bring their, uh, bring, bring a, their friend who's a paralyzed to Jesus. You're, you're all familiar with the story, I'm sure. They, they can't get to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dig a hole through the roof and lower, Jesus, lower their friend down to Jesus on a mat. And Jesus looks at him and looks at the faith of his friends and says, your sins are forgiven. Right? Not what they expected. They expected him to physically be healed. But no, Jesus starts by saying, your sins are forgiven. And then, and then it gets the crowd in a little bit of an uproar. Right? The religious leaders are offended. Right? Only God has the authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus then goes on to say, he says, so that you, have the, you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I will tell you, take up your mat, walk, and go home. And that's exactly what he does. You see, the physical healing, the miracle there was, was all just to prove that Jesus really had the authority to forgive sins. That the teaching that Jesus was making about himself was true and valid. That's what all miracles are for, right? Miracles recorded in Scripture are there to validate his claims about himself. So the resurrection being the greatest miracle of all, right? The empty tomb proves that everything that he said is true, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is our Savior and Lord. But notice, like, for, for the women at first and then later for the disciples, it was hard to, hard to wrap their mind around and hard to believe. And that's why I love what Peter does here in, in Luke 24. After hearing the report of the disciples, it says in, 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 chap, in verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Another one of the translations I read this week said, nevertheless, he went. Some of us have doubts, don't we? Some of you may be here today or listening on the radio or watching online that have doubts that sometimes you struggle to believe in who Jesus is and what he's done. But Peter gives us a great model of what to do when we doubt. He ran to the tomb, right? And he investigated it for himself. In one of his later appearances, Jesus shows up again to the disciples. And there he encounters his disciple known as Thomas, who more famously known as Doubting Thomas. Right? Thomas had said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is back unless I, unless I see his scars, unless I can put my fingers in his wounds and touch his side. I'm not going to believe it. So Jesus appears to the disciples, and Thomas is there that time. And Jesus doesn't scold Thomas for doubting. He doesn't scold Thomas for wanting that extra bit of evidence. He reaches out his hands and invites Thomas to see for himself. So that's what Jesus does for us. When we doubt, when we're unsure of our faith, Jesus invites us to examine the evidence for ourselves and explore our doubts. Because if Jesus is the truth, and if all truth belongs to God, then an honest pursuit of the truth will always lead us to Christ. Nevertheless, he went to the tomb to see for himself. Jesus invites us to do the same. Do you doubt? Do you have a hard time believing in Jesus? Right? Some of you may be wrestling with doubt right now. It's, it's not uncommon. You may not buy into this Jesus guy and the idea that he somehow rose from the dead. It may seem completely absurd. The disciples themselves doubted. 
They had walked with Jesus for three years and they had a hard time believing the good news themselves. In fact, it says that they thought the woman's report at first was nonsense, but they investigated it for themselves. And and Jesus invites you to do the same. Run to the empty tomb and see for yourself. Give it a shot, right? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. See, trust is an intentional choice that we make, right? It's not just something that, that happens by accident. We must choose to trust in something. Psalm 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Right? Trust and faith in God is an intentional choice we make even when we are downcast, even when we are disturbed, even when we doubt. We can choose to put trust in Jesus. And the reason for that is because we believe that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive which validates everything he taught and said about himself. And that leads us right into our second point, right? The tomb was empty on that first Easter morning, and it is still empty today. Easter reminds us that Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. I love the question angels ask the woman, why are you looking for the living among the dead, right? Why are you here? He's alive. He's not dead. The tomb is still empty today. In fact, if you, if you go to Israel, even now, you would have a hard time visiting Jesus' tomb, right? There are some sites that claim to be the, the site of the empty tomb, but they can never be validated. You want to know why? Because Jesus isn't there, right? There's no way for us to know for sure which one of those is the real empty tomb, which is the real garden tomb, because Jesus isn't there. His body has never turned up. Right? It's never been discovered by later generations to believe that the resurrection actually happened. There's eyewitnesses listed in, in parts of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Right? Paul lists off the different groups that had seen Jesus after the resurrection. And he even says that some of them are still living, which means the testimony can be verified. Right? Paul was name dropping so that people who doubted could go and talk to those who had seen him for himself, for themselves. Again, no body was ever produced, right? The easiest way to squash a myth of a resurrection is to turn up a, a body to prove that it's not true, but it never happened despite many interested parties trying to prove otherwise. Another evidence of the resurrection is the transformation of the disciples. Peter, for example, denies knowing Jesus three times in the very night that he was betrayed. The disciples, most of them scattered out of fear. But later, those very same disciples, including Peter, chose to die rather than forsake the Lord. Many of the early church was imprisoned, beaten, killed, and you don't do that for a lie. You know what? In a moment of complete honesty with you all here, right? If the resurrection isn't true, if 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 Jesus did not rise from the grave, we might as well not even be here this morning. Right? If the tomb, if Jesus is still in the tomb and he is not alive today, what are we doing? Paul even makes that very same argument in 1 Corinthians 15, speaking of the resurrection. He 
says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our, pre- our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? If the resurrection isn't true, then we might as well, there's plenty of other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning, right? But if it is true, and it is, then there's nothing better for us to do than to be here and worship our risen Savior. That leads us to ask, where is Jesus now, right? If he's not in that empty tomb, then what is he doing? Well, we know from the testimony of Scripture that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he reigns and rules with all authority in heaven and earth. And that he has commissioned us, his people, to spread the good news of his resurrection to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1.8, just before he ascends to heaven, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? The women were the first to do this. Right? Think about that. Those women who went expecting to find Jesus' body in the tomb were the first ones to go and share that good news with the disciples. And they've been doing it ever since. See, evangelism, sharing the gospel, is the natural response to the good news of the resurrection. So he's given us a task, but he also doesn't leave us alone. He's given us his Holy Spirit to guide us and equip us and to teach us. And we also know that he intercedes for us, that Jesus is our helper. He is our advocate, that he provides what we lack and sustains and strengthens us. And so we know that whatever problem we face, whatever sin we struggle with, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, that you have a living, risen Savior to help you. Jesus is alive and that changes everything about today. It gives us hope, a confident certainty that God's promises are true. And that hope is for today, for the rest of our lives, and for eternity. First Peter 1 calls it a living hope because it breathes new life into us when we put our trust in him. And that leads me to my last point. If the tomb really is empty, if Jesus is alive today, then that empty tomb demands a response. It proves that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is Savior and Lord. And if everything Jesus said is true, and if He is in fact alive today, then we deserve to give Him our faith and our allegiance. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And so we must accept Jesus as Savior, that He rescues people from their sin His death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And his resurrection, the empty tomb, proves that the payment has been made for us. He took our place, the just for the unjust, right? You may wonder, how does the resurrection prove that the payment was valid, that that the payment for sin has been taken care of? Well, think of a jail sentence, right? A person is sentenced to 10 years in jail. That is the punishment for their crime, And when they've served their time, when the punishment has been paid in full, they are released and allowed to go free. See, the punishment for sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
the punishment has been paid in full. And when it was paid in full, Jesus walked out of that empty tomb, living. Our Savior is alive. He served the sentence for us. He paid the price for our sins. And the tomb is now empty because that penalty has been paid in full. You can no longer be found guilty because the punishment has been fulfilled. And so we must accept Jesus as Savior. We must also give Jesus our allegiance as Lord. He deserves our allegiance. He's not just our Savior, but He's also our Lord. Our boss, our master, the one who's in charge. To give him our allegiance is to give him a life fully committed to following him at all times, not just when it's convenient or easy. And the order is important here, right? He doesn't save us because we obey. We obey him because he has already saved us. Maybe a helpful illustration can come from the book of Exodus, right? This is, this is the Passover week, right? That's the backdrop that all this is taking place. In the Passover, God's people remembered how they were rescued from Egypt, led into the wilderness, and then received the law from God at Mount Sinai. But notice the order that's taking place there. They are rescued from slavery, and then they are given the law. God didn't drop the Ten Commandments on them in Egypt and said, get your act together, I'll see you in a few years. No, he saved them from their sin, from from slavery, and then gave them the law to obey. The order is important. He is our Savior first, but also is our Lord. And finally, and I'm going to close with this, we're called to be amazed that Jesus is the risen King. We accept Him as Savior. We give Him our allegiance. And finally, we are called to be amazed at Jesus, the risen King. We're called to worship Him with joy and thanksgiving. Twice in this chapter, Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, it says that that people wondered. At first, the women wondered, which meant kind of, there are two different words that are used there. The first one, it meant kind kind of puzzled or confused. But when Peter went to the empty tomb and saw it for himself, it says he had, once again, he wondered. But it didn't mean he was puzzled or confused. It meant that he was in awe. He was amazed at what he had seen because he realized the significance of it. So not only are we called to accept him as Savior and give him our allegiance, we're also called to simply be amazed and in awe of our risen King. And we invite you to do that this morning as we continue to worship him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you you raised your son up from the grave. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive today and you are seated at the right hand of the Father and that you need to understand your word. And we pray now that we would worship you and be amazed and our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare our hearts to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper today, let's stand, if you're able, and sing the next praise song. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood.
just a moment, I'm going to invite you forward for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. There'll be stations on either side of the altar. We invite you to come down these side aisles, receive the bread, receive the cup, and then return to your pew through the center aisle here. If you're unable to come forward for any reason, but would still like to have communion, there will be a pair of elders that are going to circle the sanctuary. Just do your best to try to get their attention, and they're going to be looking for you as well. We don't want anybody to be unable to partake in the Lord's Supper because they're not able to come forward. As we do this, we're reminded of why why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's Supper because it reminds us of, of God's love for us through Jesus Christ, His sacrifice for us. Scripture says that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we all have a need. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And communion is an opportunity for us to be reminded and to to be shown that we are in need. And so it's an opportunity to confess our sins to the Lord, to repent of those sins. But communion is also a celebration because it's a reminder that Jesus is alive today, that he gave his life for us, but that tomb is empty that Jesus is alive and reigns with his Father and with his whole, in the Holy Spirit in glory forever and that we too will join them in glory. That when we go to be with the Lord or when he returns to establish his kingdom, we will gather together again around the table celebrating the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so as you take this bread and you take this cup today, yes, it's an opportunity to confess, to be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ but it's also a celebration of a risen Savior and that we will be reunited with him, united with him in glory forever. So I invite you to pray with me at this time. Father God, we thank you for this bread and this cup. And we thank you that every time we take it, we get an opportunity to proclaim your death until you come again. Lord, we are sorry for our sins. We have all fallen short of your glory and word and thought and deed and things that we've done and things that we've left undone. So we ask for your forgiveness and grace in our lives. And Lord, we also thank you and praise you and and with joy and gladness, we celebrate that you are alive and risen and that you are seated at the right hand of your Father and that when we take this bread and this cup, we are we are reminded, Lord, we are it is proven to us that we will join you in glory one day when you call us home or when you return again. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. For I received, for I took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Messiah and Savior, we invite you to take this sacrament to your comfort.
Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you again with grateful and sincere hearts. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again. In doing so, conquered death and sin and shame and opened the way to eternal life for all who believe. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you pour out on us generously through your son, Jesus Christ. And may your Holy Spirit fill us and guide us and equip us to live for you, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You may go in peace.
Change my name. 